Oh, I could go whenever? Yeah. All right. Welcome to the Continuous Growth Podcast. I'm Gary Baudet. We're here with Joey T. And we have a special guest today, Monica Baudet. Hello. And Joey, I did... I had to tell you something, mm-hmm. and I was waiting to tell you until, of course, we were live. It's Monica's birthday today. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I won't say her age, but... I'm 39. Can't even tell. 39 and proud. All right. So, happy birthday. We'll, we'll sing it to you later. We'll, we'll <laughs> add it in there. You guys didn't bring a cake? No. Come on. We need cake. Next dude. time, we're, we're going to dinner tonight. <laughs> we'll get you some cake for sure, Joey. All right. A handful. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, handful you remember yeah. the handful. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to bring it up. Yeah, we won't bring that up. So, <laughs> so how the, the levels and everything, everyone could hear and everything's yeah. good and never. Sounds yeah. good. Sounds, yep, good. sounds All good on right. my end. All right, so today the, the theme is we're going to talk about the used soils. Um, Monica, you listened to our, lo- our last podcast that we did, or our first one and our last one. That's where <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, what, what are your initial thoughts? Just you Yeah, know, I did. Yeah. I listened to it. It sounded really good. It explained a lot of the used soils process. And I like that Joey was coming from a perspective of not knowing much or anything at all about lean. Mm-hmm. And that's how I came into it not too long ago, too, and started learning stuff. So a lot of the questions that he had, I resonated with mm-hmm. wanting to know that the answer. So yeah, it sounded good. <laughs> yeah. And it's still hard to explain when people ask, me, oh, what do you do for a living? It's. You know, it's complex. There's a lot. But yeah, I guess we help people improve and grow, help, help people um, and businesses grow. And that means profits, make more money, improve the economy, improve their situation. So, yeah. What are your thoughts, Joey? Most Did definitely. you give it a listen after? I haven't. No. I haven't checked it out. I'd, you don't like hearing your own voice. I don't like hearing why? my own voice. That's why uh, I'll admit it. You have a good I'm voice, John. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I'm not used to it, I guess. You'll get used to yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Just it's like everything else. What a cool effect on all of our voices. <laughs> Auto-tune. <laughs> okay, so um, today I did want to talk about the the first part of used soils. And just to catch everyone up on what used soils is, it is a continuous growth model um, something that I worked on for about four or five years, and I put my 15 years of experience into it. And the whole point of it is to continuously improve and grow. Um, it has some checks and balances in there, too. has a roadmap. It's really based on how to do things, which will give you improvement and growth. Um, the first part of use soils is uh, under understand externally what's going on and then that ties into knowing what you're capable of internally and what constraints you have internally so it's kind of a a check system you look on look at what's going on externally and then seeing what you're capable of doing so a good good example 
Um, Joe, I don't know if I asked you this before, Monica. I know I did, but like the the Apple Newton. Have you heard of the Apple Newton? Mm, I don't think I have. No, no. So what the Apple Newton was? It was uh, really the first iPad that came out. Yeah, and you could do a Google search on it, check it out, how how it looks. But you want to guess what year it was invented? Mm, maybe like early two thousands. I think. Well, that's common. So it was invented in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> and it first got released and produced in 1991, 92. Um, and it failed. That's why you never heard of it. That's why no one's ever heard of it. So it was like the first, like an iPad? Like it was a tablet? Yeah, wow. yeah it, was a, it was a tablet. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we're bringing up a, a picture of it right now. Um, it looks like the Oregon Trail. It yeah. Does. Yes. So it was actually it operated on Bluetooth. It was a it was a great idea. And why it didn't sell was um, back then in the early '90s we had dial-up 56k, mm-hmm. so there wasn't a lot of Wi-Fi, so it had limitations. Back then it sold for roughly $980, which is equivalent to about $1,500 today. So not many people could afford uh-huh. it. Um, and they didn't really understand what problem it was trying to solve. Like what? Like it's cool. What's its purpose? Yeah. yeah it's what's cool. It, again, yeah. How do I what use it? What do I it? need one for? Yeah. Right. And how do I use it in my everyday life? And what will it, it help me do? So they kind of, Apple then, they just kind of built something just because they could build it. They didn't understand externally. Like basically the market wasn't ready for it. Right. So you could come up with an awesome rocket ship that could make your coffee to show how intelligent you are, but if there's no market for it, then kind of what are you doing? No one could afford that. So they didn't have a good sense of what the market wanted, what they were ready for. Mm-hmm. So they're pushing pushing product onto consumers instead of pulling, trying to solve problems, external problems on you know what would make someone's life easier, what will save someone time. So that got me thinking about, wow, it's so important to understand whether you're an entrepreneur or just an organization, if you ever want to do product development or be successful, you have to know what kind of the market's telling you. You have to know what technology's out there and then what your, your target market is and what problems they have. And kind of another example that I think of is when I was 17, I worked for a company called Blockbuster which our seven-year-old has no idea what Blockbuster is. A lot of seven-year-olds don't. Yeah, yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think our teens, our teenagers might. But they're, they're, they lost sense of their customer, too. Um, and I asked people, you know, why did Blockbuster go out of business? And usually the first response is, oh, Netflix, because now it's streaming. I said, well, wait, before there was that, there was the mail Right, you could mail, you get your movies via mail, U.S. post office. Well, that's how Netflix started. Right. It was just all mail-based. Right. So There was it, no streaming. There was no streaming. And it, it, was, it was already, you know, impacting Blockbuster. So what, what Netflix, the difference between Netflix and Blockbuster, why Netflix is successful and Blockbuster is no more, was Netflix paid attention to what customers wanted. So they paid attention to external factors. Um, so people wanted to save time. Because if you think about it, remember, I worked at Blockbuster, but I also rented from Blockbuster. So you would have to drive there. 
So it takes 15 minutes or, or whatever. You drive there, you browse, which is cool. We like the browsing. But then you would finally select the one you want. Hopefully they had it. Or you would right, and have to would issue these yeah. rain check things. So may not have it. Then you would have to wait in a line. And Friday and Saturday nights, those lines, when I worked those nights, I mean, you're, you're in line for maybe 30 minutes. Right? Then you have to you have to pay. The salesperson is going to offer you all these different things. And by the time you get out of there, um, you know, you've probably been in there 50 minutes. Now you drive home. That's your 20-minute drive again. Watch the movie. It's an hour and a half movie. That's the value-added time. But then, remember the next day, you have to drive to Blockbuster, drop it off, and then drive back from Blockbuster back home. There's a lot of wasted, non-value-added activities. Mm -hmm. So what Netflix did was like, hey, what if we made it, instead of getting in your car and having to drive and then having some silly late fee, you just walked your mailbox. So they were looking at just shortening shortening up the, the amount of, I guess, reducing lead time for the customer and just making it more accessible. So there's the value they were adding was they're saving people time. So they that's what their focus was. That was their mission is how do we solve a problem uh, and what's worth solving? Well, not having enough time to do certain things, that's always a problem. Right. So just always keeping an eye out on externally, like focusing on customers. So there's different tools you could do, voice of customer, you could do different surveys, you could do different research to really understand. Um, but there's also the thing where if you, what was it, when, um, as a Henry Ford quote that he said, yeah, if I asked a bunch of people who got around on horseback and buggies, like, hey, you know, what, what's something I could, I could help you with? Oh, make me a faster horse, right? Instead of, oh, how about an automobile, right? So there's sometimes you have to think of um, things that maybe even the customers don't think of. But still, if you're focusing on they, why they said the faster horse, they're really saying, help save me time, get me to places right. faster. Yeah. So instead of taking it literal and just keep reinventing the wheel, okay, a faster horse, but no. All right, if they're worried about speed, what is something I could get them that goes faster than a horse? Even though it took a while for automobiles to get as fast as a horse, having one horsepower or less than a horsepower. So these are, these are lessons that I thought, and going through my MBA and having to do a, a, really a, a business plan, it's like, geez, I had to spend so much time on market research. I had to list um, who is my ideal customer. And I, I had to be extremely specific, like how old they were, where they lived, where they shopped, where they went to eat. Because all this were, you know, was helping me where, how am I going to market to them? So what neighborhoods, and I had to really find these things out and I had to put it in my business plan specifically, everything, how much money do they make per year? How many kids do they have? Everything about your ideal customer, maybe one, two or three, your top three. Um, but yeah, it's just getting so specific, really understanding and doing different surveys, talking to them. Um, and then seeing what needs. But a, a pretty safe safe one is if you could save someone time or make something easier for someone. That's usually a pretty yeah. good business model. Solve a problem. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? The, the external understanding externally? 
Well, you have to have that nowadays. You have to know who your target audience is and what they're into and what the goal is, what you're trying to help them with. Yeah. Instead of just throwing stuff on the wall and seeing what sticks, you know, do your research first. And it's not fun. It's not the glamorous part. <clears throat> I like how you so it works for entrepreneurs as well. I think it's extremely important for them to understand externally what's going on. Oh, yeah. As a consumer, I am more likely to buy something or to visit the same place again if I feel like all my needs are being met at one place and, mm -hmm. you know, Target implementing their little grocery section. She's like, oh, cool, I can go to Target and mm -hmm. get all the things that I need instead of making two stops. So, yeah, if I feel like, yeah, like, well, they did their research on my demographic and I just making the same one stop, so. Convenience. Yeah, convenience. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everybody does that now. Walmart, mm -hmm. Target, you know, everywhere you go now, they got like a produce section, so. Mm -hmm. That's something that they took into consideration looking externally. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And then it's, um, so good, a good question that I got asked recently about uh, used soils is, can you grow too fast? I said, definitely. Like, if you're only focusing on growth, then, then there's a problem. So that's why I had to put in the understand internally, and it's kind of a counterbalance. When you're looking at, what the market wants, all right, great. They want you know this widget that does these certain things. You always have to compare that to what are you actually capable of doing and what are your constraints? Is it human capital? Is it machines? Is it you know operating space? You can't just overpromise everything and oh yeah yeah we could do that we could do that and sell stuff because again trust right there's consumer trust and if you're overpromising things then. <laughs> then you only got one shot at it, right? So it's just being honest and, and having the trust. So um, it was a good question because it made me think about, you know, we're talking about continuous growth and, well, can you grow too fast? Like, yeah, if you're only focused on growth um, and you're not looking at what you can do. And then kind of my, my response is you really can't grow if you're just only working on sales and marketing, you could grow sales, but profits, uh, maybe short-term gain, but that's not growth. And I look at business growth, it is return on net profit, so profitability year after year. And there has to be historical data that there's growth. So you need to increase your profit margins each year, increase profits each year. That's, that's growth in a, in a business sense. So, um, and then... It's taking the, the things that we understand externally about our customers and then being able to uh, explain those things and articulate them to all of our employees. That way everyone's on the same page and everyone understands what the customer requires, uh, what the demand, what their quality expectations are. So, um, and then how fast do they want things? What's realistic? And I think consumers, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, and Joy, I'll ask you this, but when Monica and I, we went to, um, we had to get, where was it, Chicken Barn or something? Mm -hmm. um, and they had a drive through And it, the guy came on the, we're in line, and we order our food, and he said, hey, it's going to take five minutes. Like, okay. So he kind of set us at, at ease as a customer. If he didn't let us know it was going to be five minutes, after a minute or two, we're going to be like, what the heck is going yeah. on here? Like, what? Come on, this place is the worst. 
you're going to start assuming things. Did they forget about us? What they do? Like, oh, I hate this place. But just because he said, hey, you know, it's going to take five minutes. Like, oh, okay. It kind of sets you at ease. So your expectations are, are then leveled. I don't know. Have you ever thought of that? bar for you. Yeah. I mean, it's good. Everybody wants to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we track our packages that we order online. You want to know where they're at, like, every moment. I know I do. I track them all the time. Right. It's just you want to be informed. Yeah. You know, and I think it's it's a courtesy. You know, they let you know what's going on, how long it's going to take. That way you, you know what to expect. Right. Even if it's not same day. Right. Like, same day is nice. But if they're mm-hmm. like, hey, January 2nd, you're going to get this. Like, all right. And just the fact that you know you have access to tracking it and where it is, it puts the consumer at ease. Right. Okay. And you don't worry about it. You forget. And you're like, yeah. Right. It's on its way. Yeah. So that's so important psychologically to let consumers know and customers know. Let them be aware and also all of your employees be aware of, all right, here, we have to get this out the door by January 1st because it's going to take a day to ship. That way our customer receives it by January 2nd. And here's the quality requirements. Um, So it's just having communication flow. So I go into different businesses and, you know, usually they call me when there's a problem. So when I go in there and I look at the problem, I'll do a root cause analysis. I'll look at, you know, it's cool. I, I feel like a crime scene investigator. So, all right, well, show me, show me the, the crime scene. So we'll go over to the crime scene. Then I talk to the witnesses of the crime, which are the employees, and ask them what happened, what they think went wrong. I'm trying to get at the root cause. So we'll start kind of brainstorming, fish boning, uh, different things that contributed to the problem. So we're laying it out, but we're all trying to get to the root cause because that's what I want to fix is the root cause of the problem. And always a contributing factor, I'll say always, I'll say 90% of the time, I'm talking about million dollar problems, like multiple millions of dollars of problems. It's always communication is one of the, one of the contributing factors. And if you look at the number one skill that's in demand Across the United States, it was a cool, uh, the CEO of LinkedIn came and, and brought this up. And, you know, there's multiple, you could ask many human resources managers, what the number one skill is communication and soft skills. Um, but I think this is more than just soft skills. It's communication flow. It's having employees having things in their head instead of out um, centralized so that everyone else could see them. It's managers having things in their head or ideas in their head, uh, requirements in their head, and just not sharing that information. And kind of the two keys that, that I do is when we're working on solutions and I'm trying to fix the communication flow problem is, sorry, we've got to get all information, all data centralized. That way it's visible to all employees, like just like your, the UPS tracking thing. Mm-hmm. everything in the process should be visible for all employees as well. Instead of working in these little silos, I think of the ostrich with its head in, in the dirt, right? We don't want employees or managers or departments like that. So it's how do we cross-functionally improve communication? And that's from the customer all the way to the raw materials, to the suppliers of, of a product. How do we get it connected? So 
Yeah, it's it's connecting the understanding externally to understanding internally what's going on and then just communicating all those external things internally and just getting everyone connected. So it's centralizing data and then yeah, making it visible. So getting all the data in one spot is extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Like even if you're working in a, a maintenance department and you have you get different work orders. Well, there's a phone call. All right, there I get a phone call for a work order, and then someone texts me a work order. Someone emailed me a work order. Someone then also through a walkie-talkie let me know about something that needs to get fixed, and then someone finally used the actual system of putting in a work order. So now there's five different spots where information is located, and that makes it extremely hard to to manage projects and to even ask for help. So if if I'm a maintenance manager and I have just got an email, a phone call, a text message, uh, someone put in a work order the right way through our system that's maybe digital or electronically, someone gave me a handwritten note, someone verbally told me, or you have all these different ways. And if you need help, it's, it's hard. So you have to almost coach all those people who didn't use the system, like, please use the system so I could get all your work orders, all your, all your requests into one area that way i could get help on it that way my assistant manager could go in there and look and and be my backup so it is kind of conditioning the people and coaching them and explaining the reason why it's important that way i don't forget about your work order like let's all get it into one system because i see i see it happen so are there any areas where you work joey and where you see communication <laughs> as a problem <laughs> all, the, all the time man or give an example all the time well like it's the whole like tracking thing like our customers we don't have no way to track where our drivers are at so they'll call and be like well where's my stuff you know it's it's same day delivery where we're at okay it's delivering parts to shops and to the city um like mid places like that so when stuff gets delayed, they're calling us off the hook, left and right. You know, where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? And it's, I have no way to track the driver, you know? So it's, so you feel helpless. Sometimes I don't know what to tell them. Yeah. yeah. So like, I don't know. There's a, yeah. So you, could you guys track stuff, um, like all the way until it leaves? Like, is, is there just when it codes? left? There's a log when the drivers come in. There's a handwritten log. It's a handwritten log. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't know if I like that too yeah. much. It's old school. It's old Everything's school? old school, yeah. Why do you think it stays old school? Is it the way they've been doing it since <laughs> 1971. And, it, and it's worked since then? Yeah, it worked right, back then, right, so it's right, going to work yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. But, yeah. I wonder if the, you guys lost any customers because of that. Yeah, we have. Like not knowing? Because now, nowadays, like to your point, where you, you get that information everywhere else, like, yeah. hey, you know, I get it on my Amazon packages and my personal stuff, mm-hmm. but this is for work. Like, I need this. So, oh, no, yeah. sorry, we don't know where it is. Yeah, I got it. Especially if they have a car on the lift that's taking up space mm-hmm. in the shop, mm-hmm. you know, that's when it's like, it's real crucial. We got to know where that part's at and how long, how much more longer till you get to this stop. You know, we got to try to get a hold of the drivers or do whatever mm-hmm. we can just to, Tell the customer. Sometimes I just tell them what they want to hear and be like, hey, be there in 10 minutes, dude. Don't worry. Yeah. Because I don't know what to tell them, you know? Yeah. And I think you hope it'll be there yeah. in 10 minutes. It's supposed to be there in yeah. 10 minutes, but you can bet your life on it. Yeah. So a good thing to consider in the first phase of use soils and under, understanding externally is 
the forces of change or forces for change. One of them is you have to be aware of not only your competitors, you don't want to solely focus on that, but yeah, technology, like what, what Mm -hmm. are, what things are changing out in the world? Because I like that quote, you know, you never stay the same. You either, it's either one step forward or one step backwards. You never stay the same. So if you stay that way, your competitors are, are that was blockbusters mindset. You know, they're looking at Hollywood video. That was their competitor. They didn't hear of Netflix. They're like, nah, we're good. Like, we've been doing it this way. We're, we're making profits, right? Their head was the ostrich in, in the mm-hmm. sand, not, not looking. So, I mean, that's kind of a, that's the fear when, hey, everyone has new expectations. The market has changed. The consumer habits have changed. Technology has changed. So we have to get with it. Yeah, it might have worked since 71. But if you want to grow... Right, you have to improve, and if to improve, you have to change some things. And it's scary, right? It, it's scary, and sometimes it's expensive. But uh, with with those things, it is getting cheaper for having tablets and having barcodes yeah. and more ERP, MRP. It's getting a lot a lot cheaper now. So there's something uh, that I think you guys should look at. And is it how is it when you, if you gave that suggestion, how do you think it would go over? <laughs> it wouldn't fly at no, all. No. no, my boss is old school. Yeah, that's the thing. He's, he's just, he's just he's too old. He's school. content with. He's content with the way things are, and like, he still comes. He's the type of guy that shows up on Saturdays and does paperwork. You know, on a Sunday he'll be in the warehouse just by himself doing paperwork. Wow. So truly dedicated. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's an independent business. Mm-hmm. Our competitors are like the the retail chains, like O'Reilly, AutoZone, those guys. We're just one independent. We're like one of the one of the last remaining in California. So for me, yeah. there's something, you know, and that's why, you know, we, Monica and I we dedicate a lot of our time helping medium and small businesses throughout the state of California, um, just just ha- trying to help them out because mm-hmm. we want to see them succeed, and that's one of the reasons why I left my job of you know fortune 100 company and like yeah instead of traveling throughout the united states i had this guilt like there's enough to do here in california why am i in baltimore why am i in mississippi why am i in ohio why am i in south carolina helping these companies out that are already pretty dang successful like i would like to take everything that i'm learning and apply it at least in the state of california and hopefully to the, the county i live in the city i live in so it would be nice. And yeah, sometimes it's if the person at top doesn't want to change or doesn't want to grow, then it's you're stuck. Like they, the CEO, the owner, they have to want to improve. And, you know, it's tough. Maybe it needs to be explained because I'm sure he doesn't want to go out of business. No, I don't think he does. I mean. But, but it's a possibility. Like if you don't. It's a possibility. Yeah. I mean, like, if you don't keep up. I mean, I mean, they've been in business in 71. So they're doing something right. Right. Could there be improvements in some areas? Oh, for sure. Right. Because so like, I see it every day, you know. So have you ever heard of like a, a SWOT analysis? It's kind of a tool that I look at with U-Soils too. Like what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are the opportunities and what are the threats? So like a threat would be definitely be the, the competitors, mm-hmm. right? So it's externally. So SWOT is still the comparison of externally and internally. So what are your... What are some of your internal strengths? So the dedication, um, probably being a small business, just the, I'm sure you get along with your employees. Yeah. You've told me before and just kind of that, hey, we're small, like you guys are kind of unified. 
but the weaknesses are not willing to adapt, to no. change, to improve, to, to implement technology. Then you're looking at what are some opportunities out there, which could, it's a nice way of saying, what are some problems that, um, or opportunities? And then, yeah, some of the, the other threats of others, competitors, but it's also, uh, yeah, it's a weakness too, um, not willing to change and improve. And it's just being able to identify it's, it gets into the L of use soils, the learn and reflect and like, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What should we, and a good tool is to do this is start, stop, keep that we do at a lot of businesses. Like what are the things that as a company we should stop doing? What's not working for us? What are some things that we should start doing? Some ideas. What are things that we should keep doing? Maybe you have a whole lot of things you should keep doing. Hey, this is working. Don't want to change it. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. But no, we should stop doing this. We should stop um, not having answers for our our customers. We should stop writing stuff on paper. So some things we should start doing is looking at new technology. So just kind of a way to put in perspective. And as a business owner, you have to you have to look in the mirror and reflect and you have to be adaptable and you have to be flexible. Yeah, I agree. So that's, um, yeah, those are part of the things that I, that I believe with the use soils, the, the beginning of it. Um, yeah, Monica, your thoughts and your background as a working for public safety as a police dispatcher and air force veteran. Thank you for your service. So one of the things while you were talking about communication and it being transparent for everyone, in dispatch we had something called a, a database called um, RCAD. It was a computer-aided dispatch. And so when you were talking about work orders coming in different ways, so it'd come in via email or via phone call or text message, however. So we had a system, we had this database that we would put all of our orders were essentially calls for service. Um, from the public into this database. So dispatch had it, and all the officers would have them in their vehicles, and then the sergeant, like the shift supervisor, would have it too. So let's just say, you know, a call's pending for 20 minutes, and the supervisor sees that there's an officer who's available, and then he's asking, why isn't he taking this? What's going mm -hmm. on? So he's, so that visual, mm -hmm. and we even had it to where it was color coded. So if something was holding longer than five minutes, it would turn like a bright red to kind mm -hmm. of alert. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I mean, but that was, um, you know, so that system worked. Mm -hmm. It was just a matter of um, missteps. If the dispatch had additional information to put in as far as um, notes and details about that call, and those were the issues that we ran into of not not completing. Yes, so it was visible, but the but system it's still, had to work out some kinks. Yes. So, but I mean, overall, that worked well. Um, so, as Joey, you're talking about the issue with the with the trucks and delivery. Right. I'm thinking in my head about hmm, how could they have like some type of CAD like system for them, like some type of dispatch system, like. Not even necessarily GPS, because that was on there too, but just something that could it's show, visible. yeah, that the drivers could say, okay, I knocked out that delivery, so that one's out, and then this one's next that I'm yeah. on my way to. So yeah, something like that would yeah. probably be beneficial to. Probably, yeah, to I, help I could you see guys. something like that. Yeah, because this one they have now is just 
It's, it's clipboards on the wall and yeah, yeah. this route, like this is the freeway and this is McHenry, this is in town, you know, it's just, it's just by time, you know, if this, if this stuff, this stuff's piling up, you know, they'll put a, a number one. So this, the next oh, driver okay. that comes in, you uh, take this one out, you know, yeah. and then number two, next driver, <laughs> and they just switch the numbers around on the different routes. So even in those piles with paperwork too, is with visibility because you could be you can make things visible without going technology based but once you have a stack once you have that second paper you lose visibility of the first paper mm-hmm. so st- stacks of you know i call it whip work in progress is bad because you lose visibility in the inbox if you put another you just covered up information so then you it's out of sight out of mind but i mean there's companies that don't even have the clipboard system so I mean, that you guys do have a system like that is ahead of some companies that I've been to where everything is just in the owner's head. And if he's out, everyone suffers or out of one of the top managers head, then no one what's no one knows what to do. Or that guy goes on vacation or he retires, especially now with all the baby boomers retiring. You just can't leave information in people's heads. And people like having all that. It's power, right? You have knowledge. Mm-hmm. They think of it as job security. like, But that's kind of living out of fear instead right, of yeah. the continuous improvement mindset is, you know what? I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm going to go get certified in this. I'm going to go learn this. I'm going to just add. I'm going to learn about project management. I'm going to go get my lean certificate. I'm going to go get my Six Sigma black belt. I'm going to get these things. Then you have nothing to fear because you're always evolving. So if that company does shut down, you're like, Move, right. on move on to something else. Move on to something else. Make more money. So it's just, I, I think why I like this model, it's because you could, well, one of the reasons is if you continually grow as a professional and say you even want to leave your company, like the first thing now that a, a big business is going to ask is like, what results have you gotten? They don't care so much about the old school resume, not about all your responsibilities. They look for metrics and numbers, like what results this is the new thing. What results did you get where you worked before? What changes did you make? Oh, well, I was responsible for 15 drivers. So did you improve that situation? Who cares? You could be responsible for a thousand. Like yeah, what you... did you improve on? How did you make it better? Right. What was your contribution? Exactly. Yeah. What results did you get? Yeah. Why did that company need you? Why? Or you have to separate yourself. You could say, yeah, we had a thousand drivers and our average lead time for delivery was two days. I helped implement a system. Now it's only one day long. So we cut it, the lead time in half. Like, oh, wow, this, you're, you're a thinker. All right. Right. On my team, I want some people who are thinking and could, and could you know, communicate new ideas and actually implement them. So if you're always looking to improve and grow, I think you should have fear that someone is just going to come and take your job. doesn't matter how old you are, how old they are, just be a one step ahead of everyone else so you don't have to live in fear and have all this knowledge in your head because it doesn't help. It doesn't help the business. And right if the business goes under, then you lost your job. That's not good either. Mm-hmm. So communication is 90% of the problems that I deal with. And it's just, there's no standardized work, no standard operating procedures. Everyone does things their own way. Um, and I do something called a roles and responsibility grid. And I kind of undervalued it. I didn't know how, how much people would like it, but now I just kind of bring it out whenever I work with a new department or of a company. 
Um, I say, let's take the your team members. Let's write down all the tasks that are that need to get done in this department, and then we're gonna write a list of your um, uh, employees' job titles, and we're just gonna put who's responsible for what. All right, this person, who's the number one and who's the backup for all these different things that need to get done in this department. All right, for um, hiring a new employee, who's responsible for that? Who's responsible for interviewing them? Who's responsible for training them? Who's responsible for creating the training documents? And stuff where people were just assumed before, all the employees themselves, because I used to think of it as a leadership tool so you could better understand um, like what everyone on your team should be doing and help you kind of plan and manage. But what I realized from doing so many of them, the employees themselves love it. They love it like, thank you. It's so much clear now what I need to come in and do because I'm responsible for these things and I'm not responsible for those things. And it also opens up dialogue of employees saying, hey, you know what? I'm interested in learning more about that. Or like, what? You'd be interested in taking on that responsibility? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Harry, we'll start you off as the backup and then we could train you on, on it. So just, just getting that stuff visible. What needs to get done in this department? And then just who's in charge of what? Who's ultimately responsible for each one of those responsibilities or tasks? Uh, it's a great way to just open up communication with your team and help understand internally like what what you have, your strengths and weaknesses on, on your team. And maybe there's some gaps too. If there's some things on there where it's like, ah, I'm not good at it, I don't want to do it. Then you could question, well, why do we do this? Does it really add value? Why does everyone dislike it? So just to open up dialogue. So <clears throat> Now, I wanted to get into, we opened up some questions. Um, I did it on LinkedIn, and so we got a few different questions emailed. I think um, Monica has the emails up, and she's going to read me a few of the, of the questions. Cool. Yeah, I have the questions written down here. And one of the questions that came in is, how do you sustain improvements? Ooh, that's, that's a good one. Um, yeah, even with 5S, the fifth one is, is sustain, and it's always the hardest one to do. Um, yeah, hopefully, I know the short answer is hopefully this model will help as a, as a cycle to sustain improvements. But I think when you do things the right way and you're looking to continuously grow, um, it's an awesome way to sustain and looking at new product developments, but just keeping everyone in the loop on what the true vision is, constantly communicating and, and looking at the customers and just think of, of the used soils as a cycle. Um, and then also rewarding people, whether it's with money or it's just telling them good job, um, you know, giving back to the employees and let them know, Hey, yes, this is the behaviors that we're looking for. Let's sustain it. And it starts with the top too. to sustain it. You have to have the CEO, the owner, um, really behind it and you have to really explain the reasons why that you're improving or that you're changing when people understand and they're in the loop the more willing to you know keep it going and like anything there's a life cycle to anything um, where things you're going to rapidly grow at first but then you need to counterbalance that with what you're capable of doing and just looking at instead of making that horse fat faster, like think about the automobile, think about other things outside of the box to keep growing. So hopefully that helped to answer that. 
I know another thing that you've mentioned before in reference to sustaining improvements is getting the buy-in of all the employees, mm-hmm. which I know you've mentioned is important. Um, and I think you touched on it briefly. You said uh, the employees understanding mm-hmm. why they're making the changes. So I know that's a pretty big one too, or can be. Pretty yeah, for sure. And involving them up front with any decisions that affect them and giving them the freedom to choose things and to be creative and just setting good boundaries for them to work and be creative within, still have to get the job done. But I think just having that constant dialogue with employees and showing that the company is growing and then how they could grow as well with the company. Great. Okay, another question we have is, how do you handle negative personalities? So they're extremely, sorry, negative personalities who are extremely valuable and good at their job and we, as in the company asking the question, can't afford to lose them. Um, I want to ask, could you afford to keep them? So that is, I think that that question is good because it is the number one reason why communication is like the number one skill. It's like you could have the Terrell Owens of, of football where you could be really good at their job, but if they're not a team player, no one gets along with them, they make other people not want to come to work, right? And then like, why can't, you replace them. What, what skill set do they have that no one else could be taught or trained on? And it's just, if there is someone who's just disruptive and just making it not a safe learning environment, um, where ideas are spread and people have a voice, uh, you got to get rid of them eventually. I mean, treat them like anyone else and, um, coach them, give them feedback on their behaviors, give them opportunities, but at the end of the day, if, if they're just disruptive, it doesn't matter how skilled they are at something. You, it's going to just bog down the rest of the company. So I have to get rid right. of them. All right. So next question. Use, does use soils apply to startups and entrepreneurs? Yes. And I kind of touched on it earlier, but definitely it does apply to startups, entrepreneurs, um, it is totally. I think most importantly, um, if I was, if I had a great idea as an entrepreneur or, or startup of a, a product or a service, I would grab the use soils model and just go through the steps, understand externally, do a voice of the customer, do some market research. Then I would look at what are my constraints. I would understand internally, right? Capital. Do I have enough money? Do I have the the space to create this service. What do, what do I need to do? And then once you have that, what, what do you need to communicate? Then you could get into marketing the product. You're speaking, you're talking. Um, how many employees do you need? You're going to look at that as one of your constraints. Do you have enough people? Can you actually build the thing that you want to build or provide the service you want to provide? And then, yeah, then once you start eliminating any waste that doesn't add value to it, then start standardizing all your startup processes like this is the best way we know how to do something today. And then letting your employees who, who you hire, let them um, improve it. Yeah, create the standard. But yeah, my employees have the freedom to uh, right improve that standard and make me update the standard. So definitely applies to entrepreneurs, uh, startups. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Even as you're talking, you're speaking about it in order right now, I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, I already thought, oh, well, it does apply. I think it's a great model and a great process for 
pretty much anything. I think we've talked about, and I know before yeah. you guys talked about personally, business, and mm-hmm. um, other areas of life too. But yeah, how you just went through it. I'm like, oh, wow, he's going through it like in order right now. So yeah, it does seem like it could be extremely beneficial for a startup. Yeah. Okay, next question. Uh, what are your thoughts on technology and its role in lean? Um, so technology, it is, that's kind of a vague thing, um, like robotics technology. It's been around forever, right? Hundreds of years, even robots and assembly lines have been around for a hundred years. Um, and it's rolling lean. I would say I'm kind of putting on my consultant hat and just things that I've seen probably within the last two years is there's a lot of new cool things that are coming out with robotics, technology, PLC, some of this, the deep learning and AI, um, so people get real excited about it. These companies are like, Hey, we, we want to improve our business. So we need that thing because it's cool. So they'll buy the tool, they'll buy the technology and then they'll fit a process around the technology. That doesn't sound, no, it no. sounds counterproductive. It, it is. And yeah. it's very common because they get so, and the thing is extremely cool. And yeah, I could see how it helps, but without kind of mapping your, your value stream out, Right. So how you want to do it is what does my process look like? What what problems or what bottlenecks do I have in that process? And what tools will help me achieve that? Right. So you have the process first and then tools to help solve a problem. So technology is a tool. You don't want to just solve, you know, come up with something, a tool, and then fit a process around it. Because I've I've seen to simplify it, um, people spend lots of money on equipment that speeds up their fastest process, right? They didn't know it was their fastest process because they didn't really analyze all their processes together in a value stream to look at here's step one of the process, here's step two, here's step three. So when you're going to spend money and just make a fast process even faster, you're just going to cause more whip over production. It's going to cause imbalance and you might not even reduce the lead time. You might just cause more problems and it might slow things down. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm seeing now with um, with technology. So as long as you're using it to help solve a problem, um, there's the thing about um, you know Tesla, which is not too far from here, and some of the technology and the quotes that uh, Elon Musk used was, you know, he kind of overestimated, uh, I guess, the potential of technology and, and robots, and he underestimated human potential and really he made too he made things too complex so just on a quick tangent that with technology or or robots you want you want machines that do usually one task and it's kind of a rule of thumb there's exceptions to the rule but that does one thing like really well and fast does that one thing fast you don't want a machine that picks something up moves it over there then makes you coffee, then drives over and picks up a box, come back to the box, doing all these different processes. Because if that goes down, you just lost five or six processes. You want something, you want small machines that are quick, that do that one thing. So if it goes down, you replace that one machine, you wheel that thing out, wheel in the next machine, and you keep that flow going. Yeah. Keep things moving. So you don't want doing too many things. I call them battleships where just... It's huge honking monster machines that do a bunch of different things. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a right way to use technology and a wrong way. 
So even when we're talking to Joey about maybe integrating tablets or software, right, those are all tools. And the problem that we're trying to solve in that scenario is not being able to answer customers, which leave you know dissatisfied customers. So we learned about that problem first. Then we looked at the root cause of it. Oh, because they're writing stuff down by hand. So there's no visibility was the root cause of the frustrated customers. So now a possible solution would be some software, making it electronic so that it gives us the visibility and that data is centralized, right? We don't want to right. jump, hey, I saw on the internet that it'd be cool to get this new ERP, MRP, this new software, new apps. All right, so th- make it fit, you know, within our current process. Like, whoa, 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 what problem are we trying to solve? And yeah, you could still come to the conclusion like it is solving a problem, but you kind of see what I mean? Like, yeah, if you, it's yeah. got to be tailored to your situation. Right. Right. You know, what a, what problem are you having? Okay, don't just go out and buy whatever to, to fix it, you know? Right. It involves research and... Yeah, and solving yeah. a problem. And a good way to, to do that is, yeah, kind of mapping out your current processes and seeing how long each step in the process takes right now, seeing what constraints you have. So it's good theory of constraints. I don't want to get too technical on, on things, but it is, yeah, just identifying what, like what in your process takes the longest right now, what's your biggest constraint? And then that's where you want to spend money, whether it's add another person there or it's um, invest in technology. So the thing that's the biggest headache that's, that's taking you the longest to do. Good. Was there any, anything else? Yes. One more question. And I trust you'll have some good answers for this one. Uh, What are some books that you recommend? Oh, that is, um, so while the entrepreneur thing question is fresh in my head, the lean startups, a good book. Um, and I'm guessing books I recommend like business books or just books in general. Um, but like the first, when I got into lean manufacturing, um, I worked with someone, he came over from Toyota and he, he had me read the Toyota way. And so that, that one, I don't know, I hold it dear, um, but there's just so much information packed in there. But the field book, I like the how-to books. So I think any books that show kind of how to do something. Um, the book that I'm rereading is um, The Fifth Discipline, Creating the Learning Organization. Uh, there's just so much good things packed into that book. Um, Measure What Matters is another book that I'm reading that is that is good about you know just setting your objectives and key results and, you know, just keeping, keeping track of things that are important. Um, I like operational excellence. That's a good book. Kevin Dugan. Um, yeah, I know I could open up my cabinets here. I have a whole bunch. What's a book that would be like, say somebody like me that wanted to get into lean, Mm -hmm. didn't know nothing about it. I want, and I want a book that's going to be, easy for me to understand something where I don't have to have any kind of background and lean to, to decipher. Honestly, I think I'm writing that Gary book. Gary has now. to write it. See that that's part of the, I mean, that is that I had that same question and I've bought a bunch of books and I've read. And since I've worked in manufacturing for 10 years, um, like I get it. I just feel a lot of the books out there, they're written to other consultants. Like they're, they're written to other people mm. who have the same background and experience. 
And there's just nothing really simplified to really understand it in kind of bite-sized pieces. So that is that question, Joe. I had the same question as you. I'm like, I, I need to do something that is more step-by-step. And so, yeah, I'm working on that. Um, but I don't want to sound like there's no good books out there. It just, it, I, I read books a few, a few times. Uh, I had to, even working in auto manufacturing um, I, I like the Toyota way is a good one. There's lean thinking that is good. Um, okay. So I will say that the goal, the book is called the goal. Um, that was probably the second book that was handed to me. Uh, I think you read some of that. Uh, it is, it has an audio book of it too, but it is story based and it talks about the theory of constraints and it just, okay. um, so I, I would start with the goal, I think is a good one for manufacturing, but it is very practical it's not really how to, but it just gets you thinking in a certain way about gets you in the mindset. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a it's a good one. And and the audio book, you know, some are horrible. Some of the audio books, but this is good. There's like characters on it, and it's actually uh, not very bad. I also like the One Minute Manager. That's a good little quick read, and it makes me think that when you have all these lean systems in place, that you could be more of the One Minute Manager. You're not putting out fires, but you're letting the people in the value streams um, prevent problems from happening. And then you're in there as more of a coach instead of a traditional manager telling people what they did wrong. When you mentioned the goal, for some reason it made me think of the book, The Machine That Changed the World. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know that was another one that's a simpler or story-based. Yeah, it kind of, so that one, that's where the term lean came from, the machine that changed the world. So that was the book in was 1985 where the, the three guys from MIT, they went out and they studied, you know, Germany. They started Japan and they're just kind of wondering, well, you know, how's everyone catching up to the big three in America? What What's going on? Um, yeah, so that was the, I read that book. And in that book, that's where, I forget, one of the three gentlemen, they they were describing Toyota production systems. So the machine that changed the world was basically Toyota. And they described it as, wow, they run their operations lean. So that was, it was an adjective for how Toyota ran their production. And, you know, being in Japan, they're on an island. They didn't have the luxury of having all this extra inventory, but they were big on just-in-time manufacturing. So it is good for, like, the, the background and um, just what, what Japan was doing different. And kind of the irony in that is that Toyota learned so much from America. So what they did was they took a lot of concepts from America and they kind of put it together in a, in a production system, whether it's from Piggly Wiggly, how the supermarkets did their just-in-time for milk, um, how Ford assembly and interchangeable parts, um, dimming was a, was a big component of management systems and, and how to look at quality so they just took best practices from what worked and kind of consolidated it into one system and made the playbook. So a lot of a lot of Ford, um, yeah. So it is a good book, Machine That Changed the World. It's just kind of the historical thing. Um, yeah, I, I think the goal is a good listen if you want the if you're more of a historical person. I think the uh, the Machine That Changed the World is is a good look at it. Good. Is there any books, Monica, that you've read that you, because you've read The Toyota Way. I've read most of it. 
And it was a little, I mean, I had to look up some stuff because a little bit jargony right? with some of the lean terms that people who have worked or are more familiar. So yeah, I felt like I was like reading that with mm-hmm. a dictionary with my Google search engine at the no. same time. So <laughs> No, that's, that's good to know. So I, I think if there was a simpler, uh, yeah, book out there that just kind of explains it to someone who has no idea, who doesn't work in manufacturing. Right. Because the beauty of lean, another reason why I started my own business was the challenge of, I believe that lean principles or Toyota production system could apply to any type of business. So where we live, there's a lot of agriculture. I'm like, oh, for sure. Lean produces, right? You, there's only two types of business. You either produce a product or provide a service. That's it. A lot of companies, they do both of those things, but that's it. So I, I practice applying lean principles to all types of production and then all types of service. So even in an attorney's office for service, we, we help them be more efficient. Um, we use some technology tools, but just some of the, the same principles with customer first. What adds value? What's waste? Why are you double processing why are you writing something down then typing it why do you have all these batches of work let's look at one piece flow start something finish something so those concepts they they apply to everything uh, all types of business so that was i was like wow this is cool this applies to everyone it could really help people so yeah that's the exciting thing about lean and it's a big part of used soils it's it's sprinkled throughout the system Good, good. So anything else as, as we're going to close this one out? Any other questions you guys have? Like what the, what the heck? So, all right. Well, happy birthday, Monica. We're going to dinner Thank later, you. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. We'll bring everyone. you cake next time, uh, Joey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A little bummed out, but that's okay. All right. Cool. That's a wrap. All right. Okay. Thank you.